Thank you very much, Spence. Do me a favor. When the, nine, when the eight minutes are up, stand up, because you're right. I'm blind as a bat. I can't see anything. And I am known to have talked for hours <laughs> if I'm not checked. I'm delighted to be here and to see all of you. I think my story is rather ordinary and not really inspirational, but here it goes for what it's worth. I was raised on a farm in southern New Mexico by my mother, and I must tell you, uh, she taught me to read, she read to me, ah, she made me read, she took me to shop, she gave me piano lessons. Of course, I can't play piano today, but my Walter Mitty dream, as I've told some of you, is one day have Leonard Slatkin, who's the director of the National Symphony Orchestra in Washington at the Kennedy Center, announce to the audience, we have a surprise pianist tonight, out I come in tails, sit down at the piano, and Rachmaninoff, <laughs> May never happen, but if it does, I owe it my mother. And I'm very, very delighted to be able to say to you that if you are fortunate enough to have parents who care for you and who have helped you along the way, you may not appreciate it today. Someday you will thank your lucky stars that they were there. Well, even my mother, saint though she was, couldn't control me. So the next lucky break I got was to be sent by her to military school at the age of 14. Now, it was either reform school or military school, and she chose the latter. I hadn't done anything really terrible, but I think I thought life owed me a living, and I just wanted to do things that were fun and uh, not do the other things. Military school, they quickly impressed me on the fact that that was not the way it was going to work. I was going to shine my boots, and I was going to shine my brass, and I was going to make my bed, and I was going to learn the Queen Anne drill with that M1 rifle and all of that. First year, I resisted, however. I got more demerits. I walked more tours. I had more uh, disciplinary action against me than any other rat. At that military school, which was New Mexico Military Institute, they didn't call us plebes the first year. They called us rats. And I, but at the end of the year, everyone got promoted but me. Something happened over the summer, and I can't explain it, but something came to me, that this wasn't any fun. <laughs> and, and maybe it was better to be with the winners than the losers. So when I went back, for some reason, I shined my brass better than anyone else in my shoes and, and made my bed, and I was always out there. And at the end of my second year, I was one of about six people who got promoted to sergeant. So, I mean, I guess that lesson was it is better to be with winners than losers. And also, you have to exercise some self-discipline. I mean, I had to do that. Again, I can't explain why. But uh, if you look around at people who've, who've done well in life, I only know one person who has made it big and who is essentially undisciplined. Of course, he's the President of the United States. <laughs> so, I, I mean, yeah. There are exceptions to the rule. I went to college. I was interested in radio and television, broadcasting, uh, the news and all of that. Uh, and uh, went in the Army and got out of the Army. I was 25, I suppose, much older than most of you. I still wasn't quite certain what I wanted to do. I went down to Dallas. And I saw an ad in the paper from a guy who at that time was the richest person in the world. His name was H.L. Hunt. He was an oil man. Said he wanted a ghostwriter to write a book. So I went down and applied. And I went through all the process, met all of his assistants and sons and what have you, and I did well. So one Friday, I was ushered into Mr. Hunt's office at the Mercantile National Bank building in Dallas. And he you know, was there in his Robert Hall suit, the richest man in the world, but he didn't spend any money on himself. Brown bag. He asked me a few questions, and he said to me, well, how cheap will you work? <laughs> I came up with what I thought was a brilliant answer. I said, Mr. Hunt, I'm not married. I don't have many needs. I have little small income from this farm. Uh, I'll work for whatever you think the job is worth to begin with. And I want to work for you. 
He asked me a few more questions, dismissed me, and later in the day, his assistant called me and said, you did not get the job. I said, why? Well, she said, Mr. Hunt thinks someone should know their own worth. He didn't care what you said, $1,000, $500, whatever it was, but name it. Well, I can't tell you that I've carried away the lesson I will always name a big price when I'm in negotiations with Rune P. Arledge. If you're listening, Rune, it's going to be a big price. He's my boss. But I will say this. I think Hunt was right to this extent. If you don't have any sense of your own worth and are willing to project it to other people, they're not going to put it in there for you. If you don't, I've been accused of being arrogant. Now, I hope that's not true. You notice I didn't say it wasn't true. I just said, I hope it's not true. <laughs> I really don't mean to be arrogant, but I do think you've got to say to people in, in one way or the other, I do have something to offer. I am worth something. Uh, if on the Brinkley panel on Sunday morning they ask for our opinions, uh, when we all do the round table with Cokie Roberts and George Will, if I've got no opinion, they say, well, it could be this or it could be that, why listen to me? Now, I give my opinions, and I think in life you ought to sort of say to people in one way or the other, politely, hey, look at me because I'm worth something. I've got something to offer. Well, I didn't get the job, and I went back into broadcasting. I wasn't the general manager of that station. That would have been terrific. I think it would have stayed. I was just a, an announcer there, read the news as well as did the other things. And after about a year, I did resign. Uh, stupidity, I suppose, at the time. They said, why? I said, I love it here. You've been very good to me. But I said, I know everything. <laughs> I threw everything I had in the car, and I went to New York to give myself to the big time. Boy, did I know my self-worth, right? I was ready. Move over. You know, all those guys. Edward R. Murrow, who are you anyway? Get out of there. Here I come. Well, fortunately for me, I had also applied in Washington, D.C., at uh, the then station owned by the Washington Post, WTOP. And after about seven months of starving to death in New York and being told exactly what I was worth, zero, <laughs> I got the job in Washington, and I've been there ever since. And I think if there's a lesson there, it's not that you should go to New York and starve to death. But you've got to move. If you want to go forward, whether it's a geographic change of locations, whether it's moving up in, in your business, your company, or in, in your profession, they'll never come to you. They won't come and discover you. Rune Arledge will never move through. Uh, uh, he may come to Sun Valley, but if you're on the local station here, he's not going to sit there and look at you and say, wow, that's terrific. I mean, she's got to come and replace Diane Sawyer. Or, please don't. I, I mean, I live off Diane Sawyer. She's terrific, too. But you've got to go forward. You've got to move up. You've got to say, here I am, I'm worth something, I'm prepared, and I want that job. I want to do more. And the last thing I'll say is something that everybody always tells you, but I, since I'm somebody too, I guess I'll tell you the same thing. Once you decide what you want to do, and it's trial and error there, and the first course may not be the right one, and don't think you're a failure because you go down a path at your age or even older and say, well, no, I don't like this. Once you find something to do, and if you're lucky, you'll find something to do as I did, which means you don't have to get in the news business. But my dirty little secret is that if I had to and could afford it, I would pay them to do what I do. I love it. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's not getting up and, oh, I've got to punch the time clock or I've got to go to work this morning. It's here. Let me at him still. And if you can find that job, then you have to work harder than everybody else. I have left behind me, believe me, people a lot smarter than I am. And in my business, well, I'd kill to be Peter Jennings. Look, he is the most handsome guy in the world. Anyway, <laughs> other people as handsome as Peter because they weren't willing to work as hard. 
They weren't willing to take early on the dirty jobs and the weekend jobs and work all night and do all of that because they wanted to go home and they wanted to go out and play. You can do that and you may still hold a job, but I don't think any of the people that you meet here during the next two days will tell you that they were able to get where they are simply by sort of coasting along. You have to give it everything you have. You have to work very hard, and I know that you will succeed. Because the last lesson I'll leave you is this. If I could make it, anybody can make it. <laughs> now, if there is time for questions, uh, good. If there's time for questions, I'd be delighted to take them. I've been in Washington 35 years, and I've watched all those politicians. And I'll tell you this, I know how to avoid a question as well as anyone. <laughs> Anybody? Want to know what Barbara Walters like? Go ahead. Sorry, I had a cup, I wouldn't remember. Um, how do you expect people or kids in general to have self-respect for themselves and self-confidence when, for girls especially, the media doesn't send out the best of images, and self-effacement seems to be the socially acceptable behavior for girls? Is it really? Yeah. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> I, only because, one, I'm out of it, I suppose. Two, I think women are making a lot of strides. When I started in the business, we didn't allow you in. Women need not apply. One of the stories I like to tell about Barbara Walters, who I love Barbara, is that she's not very smart. She, I mean, she's this big star, but she's not very, she wasn't smart enough to understand that she couldn't get that job as the script girl. She got it. And then she was too dumb to know that we didn't let women on the air, so she went on the Today Show. Then she moved to ABC, not realizing that that just couldn't be done. And when she and Harry Reisner didn't make it as an anchor team, instead of understanding the thing to do was to denounce your boss, denounce the industry as being a bunch of Philistines, go hump, hump, the values that they represent are not my values, and go off into the sunset, she just went back to work, and went back to work, and became a big star. I think if women have a problem today, it's not at the entry level where you are. It's, it's, it's women who are in their 50s and should have been much higher up the ladder. And maybe time will pass them by. But if you get into the news business today, you're going to beat us. And one of you maybe in this room, I noticed last night someone said the future president of the United States would be her. Quite right. And once she gets to be president, I think the rest of us need not apply from then on because you have the numerical superiority. Anybody else? Charles, Charles Corral told the wonderful story of Lewis and Clark. I feel like Lewis and Clark looking now out here. Well, I'm, I'm either to brilliant success and I've answered every question before they have a right to ask, or I'm an abject failure because no one wants to know anything from me. I prefer to believe it's the former, of course. I think everyone wants the best for themselves, and and getting there is, is hard. And I know um, I'm just you know I want to be a big star one day too. And just just waiting is getting me impatient. Did you get impatient? Well, may, may I ask and, you a question? Is how old are you? I'm 18. I mean the fact that you haven't made it to rival Diane or Barbara at the moment is that really upsetting you that you think you've fallen behind your peers? I, I get. I, I wonder if, if there's going to be an opportunity out there for me, and, and I get impatient that, that nothing isn't happening right away. Look, and I was, I'm wondering if you got impatient. And I did, and I think going. it's good that you're impatient. I think it's good. I mean, what kind of slug would want to say, well, I want to sit here for 20 years before this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. You want to get active. You want to be out there. You want to do it. You want to rise. And that's a very good thing because it will motivate you to keep going. Be aggressive. You don't have to yell and shout to be aggressive, but be aggressive in moving forward. But remember this, those of us already here 
You're going to have to drag us kicking and screaming off the stage. We will not give up one ounce of power voluntarily. We say, oh, you young people, we are delighted that you're going to take over from us so we can sit in our... No, wrong. No. No. But, but though it's a grim thought to say, the actuarial tables will take care of that. And you will have your day. No, seriously, you're, you're going to make it. And be, be impatient, but, but don't worry that at your age, you're not yet the CEO of, of you're not Charlotte Beers yet. You will be. All right, time. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen.